Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show where our focus is your professional development. In this episode, personal mastery. What is more important than mastering oneself? Uh, the world acclaims those who have mastered a skill and we glorify people for what they can do. What we fail to recognize often is the necessary mastery of self that preceded whatever act the person on stage is on there for. I mean, we really need to hear that. I mean, the performance, whether on stage or on a sports field or on a camera or in the workplace is the result of a level of mastery of self. It's not the most talented who win. We've all seen great talent go to waste because the person couldn't pull their act together, right? Well, it's some talent and skill that is honed through the daily fire called discipline and habit and routine that creates mastery of self. So in this show, I bring you Robin Sharma and mastery of self is his muse. He wrote a really intriguing book uh, that came from decades of his teaching that to boil it down, it's a playbook for self mastery. It is written in story form and I'll admit it had me wanting to go back in again and again to hang out with the incredibly aspiring characters in the story. So in this episode, Robin and I talk about the root issues of mastering ourselves. If you don't know Robin, he is a globally respected humanitarian, best-selling author. His new book, uh, The 5 a.m. Club, which is much of what we talk about in this episode, is currently one of the best-selling books in the world. His influence is really significant. He has 4.1 million followers on Facebook alone, uh, but he's widely considered as one of the world's top leadership experts. And if you search for him, you'll see his clients include many Fortune 100 companies, famed billionaires, professional sports superstars stars, music icons, and members of royalty. Uh, Robin, his books have sold over 15 million copies in 92 languages, making him one of the most widely read authors alive. Honestly, I find interest in anyone who is positively influencing so many people, and I'm incredibly grateful uh, that I invited him on the show. Uh, you can find Robin and his new book, The 5 a.m. Club, and all he has to offer at Robin Sharma, S-H-A-R-M-A.com. So we'll get started right after I share some great products and services with you. Robin, as of this recording, we are amidst the coronavirus, as this is a, an evergreen recording and people will be listening to it years from now. We can even just say a global crisis uh, that we've not, most of us have not experienced. Many things to tend to for humanity. You've got a large audience. Last I saw it was 15 million plus. And I'm wondering where do you find your attention and leading going to for them right now? Um, you know, Kevin, it's first of all, it's, it's uh, wonderful to talk to you. Uh, we're in a very volatile time right now. You're absolutely right. Um, and what I'm trying to do as much as possible is bring hope to my followers, to bring guidance to my followers. This is a time for everyday heroism. I think for those who are frightened of change, this is a terrifying time. For those of us who want to yeah. show genuine leadership and bring value to people, this is a great time to serve. That aspect of heroism is a common topic vernacular for you. It's in the book and I saw it on your Facebook page, that aspect of being a hero. A lot of words we could use. You chose that one. Uh, explain how that resonates with you in regards to calling us up. 
You, you know, Kevin, the, the, the great women and men of the world that most speak to me, the, uh, the Mandela's, the Mother Teresa's, the, the, the Jesus's, the Shakespeare's, the, the great religious leaders, the great warriors, the great artists. These people, I believe, were all forged in the fire of suffering. And so a bad day for the ego is a great day for the soul. And so right now, our egos are screaming, what's going to happen to the future? What's going to happen to my business? How can I protect my family? What's going to happen to the economy? And yet this fear can build faith. And this suffering is bringing us more intimate with what we're truly made of as human beings. And when I use the word heroism, I'm not just talking about the celebrity leaders and the great icons of history. I'm talking about the emergency workers. I'm talking about the mothers and fathers. I'm talking about the teachers. I'm talking about the street sweepers. In my work, and especially in the 5 a.m. club, I'm reminding people that we can be everyday heroes if we start doing our own work. You said the bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul. And as I looked, as I read through, studied through uh, the 5 a.m. club and your message in there, and I think you talk in there about neuroplasticity. So if I can just say it on a, on a layman's term, brain training, it's easy to say that. And I found, my, found myself coming to that as I talked to leaders on the show. But I saw in yours as much in your message, brain training. I don't think I've thought of it in these terms, but just as much or maybe as a, a sequential uh, aspect of that soul training coming back to the soul. Still not an area that even in the personal development, self-help world, we talk about much. That gets pushed off in the, the spiritual books talk about the soul, but as you are training the brain, training the habits in this message, I saw so much of that. It felt like the effort was to train it, to train it, train it, to get it into the soul. Am I tracking right? I, I think you're right. I mean, so many people in, in the field of personal development are talking about mindset. Yeah. And I very much believe that mindset is incredibly important. Um, building the beliefs of leadership, building the beliefs of faith, building the beliefs of strength, building the beliefs of creativity, because our daily behavior reflects our deepest beliefs. So yeah. mindset's important. But as you saw in the 5 a.m. club, I believe there are four interior empires. I don't believe, and I think this is disruptive and revolutionary, but I don't believe mindset is everything, and here's why. Mindset is our psychology. And as human beings, our psychology is important. Yeah. But I believe we have three other empires to work on within to be a warrior, a strong human being, an elite performer. It's not only mindset, it's heart set. Yeah. And that's our emotionality because as human beings, we feel, right? It, so emotions like gratitude, emotions like wonder, emotions like joy have to be built. But it's not only mindset, heart set, it's also health set which is our physicality and our physical life. And then it's our soul set, which you spoke to, which is our spiritual life. And I think, you know, I'm not talking about religious or anything like that. In many ways, I'm talking about connecting to our higher and stronger selves. So spirituality is very important. Forgive the dog in the background. I'm babysitting my partner's dog today. It's, so. it's a candid show. That's all right. It, it's real. <laughs> So, all right, you just hit on the four interior empires, which I know 
comes on uh, number three, personal mastery practice in your book. And you talk about that mindset, heart set, soul set, and health set. And I appreciate somewhere in that section where you said these are the most important elements, but we spend our days pursuing things outside ourselves. And that of course came through to me as a primary message of the book is we are looking at ourselves and you're drawing us to really the only area that we can control, which comes again back to very timely for where we are right now. What can I control about the coronavirus? Not much other than sequestering myself and my family. So I am left, gosh, maybe right now people more than ever are left to themselves, hopefully, if they're not just gorging on screens and devices. What a great time to bring us back to mindset, heart set, soul set, and health set. Um, I feel inspired to lead from those aspects right now to those to this audience right here. You know, I think what's happening on you're right. And I think what's happening right now on the planet, it's it's a great awakening. It's a great clearing. There were so many of us who were who were cyber zombies. There were so many of us who were busy being busy. There there was too much selfishness Mm -hmm. on the planet, too much greed on the planet, too much victimhood versus leadership on the planet. There were people who are disconnected to their own family. You know, I know there are so many people who, who have such strong family lives who follow you and your show from around the world. We, we were, people were having family meals while playing with their digital devices. Mm-hmm. People were disconnected with humanity and their strongest selves. And so I think you're right. I think what this has caused us to do is to retreat from the world and go to the metaphorical wilderness, which is where all growth happens. And that, I think, is the opportunity of the crises. And I use the word plural crises, where it's it's the coronavirus, it's a worldwide collapse of economies, and I think it's going to get much worse before it gets better. And so what happened? We're, we're, we're here at home in self-isolation. And that causes us to look within if we're, if we're open to it. And there's a line in the 5 a.m. club, which is potential unexpressed turns to pain. Now, what I mean by that is if we are not expressing our potential in our work and in our lives and in the world, it turns to repressed and subconscious pain. And I think a lot of people were so busy in the outer world because they didn't want to feel and acknowledge their inner pain. Now we get to do the real work of leaders and the real work of growth and the real work of self-mastery. And the good news is we're going to come out of this because this too shall pass. And we're going to be wiser, stronger, more creative, more productive, more loving, and more of service to other people. It's going to ultimately be a blessing. That's where my personal discussions have gone. Uh, I sat out in the deck of my office with my business partner yesterday and talked about, yeah, just some of my own self-reflection now of feeling a little, uh, a little calling, a little challenging to myself of how tenuous I can even allow my life to be that something like this can disturb it. And I thought it shouldn't, I should not have a life that something like this, something so far back to our statement of control, so far out of my control can really jeopardize my life, my business in any way. I I don't want that. It feels a call to me even to look at that and go, if I am allowing myself to be living in that fragile of a system, uh, I have some, I have some maturing to do. Uh, Maybe that'd be a great message for our culture right now. 
I, I think we all have maturing to do, Kevin. Mm. I mean, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Mahatma Gandhi, he died with less than 10 possessions. Mm. Um, I've spent I've spent time in Nelson Mandela's prison cell on Robben Island just mm. to feel the experience that great leader went to went through. I stood in Mother Teresa's mission in Calcutta and I saw in her bedroom where she, you know, there was just a bed and a wooden table. What I'm suggesting is that the most mature amongst us, they didn't derive their power. And this is a key message that I share in the 5am club. It's do not derive your power from outer things. If we derive our power by our net worth, if the power we felt comes from the size of our house, if the power we felt comes from the title on our business card and how many social media followers we have, well, then we're going to feel terrified right now because all of that external power is being threatened. And what I'm suggesting, what I've suggested in 24 years of my work is build the four interior empires. Build mindset, heart set, health set, and soul set. And then build, once you've done that, you, you've created this inner warrior, undefeatable core where your power comes from who you are and your character. Yeah. Your power comes from your primal genius. Your power comes from your personal gifts. And everything on the outside then becomes gravy. You're, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And then you can go out in the world and serve and do and produce what I call in the book your magic and uplift people and you know enjoy all the material pursuits but they become your servants not your masters if that makes sense to you it I believe it does I'm gonna I'm going to dig into that a little bit though, because when we talk about that power, so we have an aspiring group, you, you know, that it's just like your audience. They, if they weren't aspiring, they wouldn't be listening to you. They'd be listening to a crime scene podcast or just, uh, you know, idle time, um, power, the power that we have, which everybody here listening is seeking and probably believes they have to some degree, but we do, I think it's very difficult to not look at the fruition. What is the fruit of that? Now you're talking about an internal fruit, which I can understand though. I would also say, but I am not mature enough to be able to look out at external fruit and, and judge myself by that to some degree. Uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, I'll never forget him talking on the show about money specifically. He was talking about being a certificate of appreciation. And if I'm providing value to other people, to the marketplace, I should expect that to some degree. And yet we've got people listening and I'll put myself in the mix too, who have areas where we feel like, gosh, I've got value. I've got power. I'm not seeing the fruit when I don't that weighs on me, causes me to question that power. Uh, what's the, there's, I guess I'm speaking to the balance there because we do look at that external fruition. It's so hard not to, uh, and if we don't see it, how do we not question the power that we really have? It's a, it's a brilliant question. Uh, a, a brilliant, uh, even thing to talk about. What I would say is this, and I sure don't have all the answers. And I sure, you know, I'm I'm doing my best to be a humble servant during this time. And I, I you know, I'm trying to figure things out as well. Sure. What I would say is, there's two games to play. One game is the game that the 95% of the population play, which is everything is measured by external. Right. I'm not saying 
you know, I believe the same thing, which is when you produce mastery to the marketplace, you're rewarded in many different rewards, such as currency, applause, fame, and fortune. Is there anything wrong with that? I'm not at all. Is there anything wrong with a beautiful house for your family? Not at all. Is there anything wrong with money in the bank? Not at all. Anything wrong with a beautiful car? Well, we're, we're, we're sensual, sensory beings that enjoy beautiful things. So forgive me if I've suggested there's something wrong with those things. My, my point is really, may we not be addicted to those yeah. things. May we not determine our self-worth by our network. May our joy, peace, and freedom, what I call JPF, not be measured by who we are in the world. Because that's a very fleeting game as we're seeing right now. I guess what I'm suggesting is wouldn't it be great to build the four interior empires, to do the 5 a.m. club morning routine, the victory hour from 5 to 6, which is when you do this work. And then you do the 20-20-20 formula I talked about in the book, mm -hmm. which builds the four interior empires. And then you work on the other habits that I talked about in the book, the 20-20-20. Um, the 90-91 uh, rule, which I know we'll get into, the second wind workout, uh, the 60-minute student, etc. So you go out in the world and you enjoy all the rewards of the world, but guess what? You don't need them. That would be a pretty cool place to be. It would. I, in my extended family, they're talking right now about a gentleman, uh, just a dear soul, seven kids, and he just passed away, brain aneurysm, and he's gone. And the real concerns here temporally, as he did not do a lot to accumulate wealth. He was a great humanitarian. He didn't put a lot of value on money. And here he is, he's passed away. And now that's a concern for his family. And yet the testimony of his power value is in the amount of people that he touched that are now coming. And we have that story as we've all read, you know, so many times of somebody somewhat unbeknownst. And then the people who showed up, let's say at a funeral and testified to the value that they brought. Now I appreciate you saying nothing against some money, uh, a nice house, some of those things. But if that is our primary measurement. I mean, again, you're talking to, uh, to one of the primary issues of humanity, but I, I, I love it for this audience, Robin. I love it because we're, we want to, this is an altruistic audience. Uh, they want to have personal success, but they want to have personal uh, legacy. I, I think to some degree to use that word, to have something to pass on that goes beyond just those material issues. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this discussion on mastering self with Robin Sharma. Next, I ask him the history behind his new book, The 5 a.m. Club, which as you'll hear, Robin says he devoted four years to. And he gets into his concept of fireproofing oneself against the challenges of life. So we'll get started right after I share some great products and services. You, you know, this book, and you, you hit so many of these topics, but this book, The 5 a.m. Club, even on the back cover, it says you introduced this concept over 20 years ago. So it's interesting me, to me that now you've come out with a book titled of that. Is it somewhat, I know you've written a lot of other books. Some of them I'm familiar with, some of them I'm, I'm not, so I've not read them all exhaustively. Is this somewhat of a culmination uh, of, I guess, two, two part question, a culmination, one thing of the things you've learned over these past 20 years and maybe even, uh, beyond that. And it all, I feel like the title almost, it, it minimizes the, 
the breadth of the book. Um, I, I mean, I appreciate it and I get it after reading the book too, but it is, well, I'll go back to that first question. How much of a culmination is this? Cause it feels pretty all encompassing. It's very much a culmination. Uh, when I wrote the five AM club, which I wrote over a four year period, I devoted yeah. four years of my life to this book. And as I would write it, and I hope you don't mind me if I'm getting personal, but I would do a prayer before I would start writing. And I wrote the book in, um, Switzerland. I wrote the book in Rome, you know, bless our Italian brothers and sisters. I wrote the book in um, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and a number of other locations around the world. And I would do a prayer before I would write. And it would basically be, you know, how may I write today that will most serve as many people as possible? And so uh, the methodology behind the book, as you know, it's a, it's, it's not only about the 5 a.m. club in the morning routine that I've taught to billionaires and CEOs and NBA superstars and, 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 you know, great humanitarians. It really is, as you're suggesting, a manifesto for mastery and, and fireproofing ourselves and our businesses and our lives in easy times and hard times. And that's why it's not just the morning routine. It's all the other rituals. It's all the other habits. It's all the philosophy. Um, I really wanted it to be a 300-page manual for people to live their finest lives, to people to express their heroism, and and to do beautiful work for themselves and for the world. And so that's what I tried to do. Literally, if you don't read any of my other books, it is, like you say, all-encompassing. It's a system for people to reach into themselves and remember who they truly are. Because I think there's been a great brainwashing on the planet. And we've been taught that the, the icons, the leaders, the, the famous people, the, the, the great artists are cut from a different cloth. And I feel very deeply there are no extra people on the planet. And a lot of people who could do amazing things, they've lost hope and they've forgotten their leadership and who they truly are. And, and they've given up. And they're like busy being busy coasting through their lives thinking that they can't live their childhood dreams and they can't do beautiful things for their family and they can't make an impact on the world. And I don't believe that at all. I think, you know, we all can do amazing things. We've just been, a lot of us have been numbed down and we've been made to believe we need to live as victims versus heroes. And, And I really want to change that. Well, your book does. Uh, I can testify Thank you. to that. And you bring up, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar, of course, is, is famous for so many quotes. One was just simply, God don't make no junk. And I remember at some point talking with my kids about, I think it was a, a package and, and uh, maybe it was a Christmas present sent in a box. And I, we opened it up and inside is this gift. And I said, guys, how, uh, who thinks that some people get to be the gift and the rest of them are just the packing peanuts back when we had packing peanuts? Uh, and that's always stuck with me, but it is, I see people and I, anytime I say people, I'm going to include myself in there to some degree feeling like, gosh, when do we feel like, or what right do we feel like we don't have mastery in us as, as you talk to? And I really appreciate a common thread that I read in the book, in your message of dispelling somewhat the brilliance, the superherodom of whoever that the rest of us may not have. And you came back. It actually reminded me uh, to some degree of 
uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers, which I've always appreciated, where he did somewhat of that. He said, look, this person, Michael Jordan, was not a superhero sent down from a different planet. He was a guy who had the luck of access to a basketball hoop, but then he put in his 10,000 hours. I know that's been overused, but I still appreciate that. And you do such a good job of that coming back to the habits and which we'll dig into here. And on that, this five, I mean, the point again, a whole life approach, a life experience, uh, achievement. You're elevating though, this morning routine as a what a pri- I was going to say an ingredient, but maybe just a, a prime. You found it to be a primary catalyst. Is that a fair term? Yeah, I, I mean, what I found in like I like you shared, you know, almost a quarter century working with organ- leadership teams of you know, Starbucks, IBM, FedEx, Microsoft, Oracle, NASA, along with billionaires and, and athletes. What I found is your morning routine is the mother of all habits. The way you be, as I say in the 5M club, the way you begin your day sets up the way you live your day. And I'd love to talk about the 2020-20 formula to bring value to your people. But the, imagine starting your day with the with tactics and routines that will fireproof your mindset, in, uh, purify your heart set, mm-hmm. increase your health set, and escalate your soul set. I mean, and I can get into the neuroscience and I'd love to, the way your day unfolds becomes fundamentally different. The way you respond to stress becomes fundamentally different. Your productivity becomes fundamentally different. And and I know you want to get into the book and the, the morning routine, but I wanted to say a few things Please. based on what you said. You, you talked about Zig Ziglar and I, I'd be, um, I, I, I'd be remiss or I'd make a mistake if I didn't share my personal experience with, with Zig. Yeah. And, um, I used to be a litigation lawyer. Uh, I was very unhappy. I was, again, successful in the world, empty inside. That's a very hollow victory. So what, what I did, Kevin, is um, I self-published a book in a 24-hour coffee shop, and I started hand-selling it, which eventually led me to leave my career as a litigation lawyer and go down this path of writing books on elite performance, leadership, and personal mastery. So it was approximately 1996. I was a complete unknown. I was working on my first book. And I went to a, a seminar, and you probably know the seminar. It was the big public seminars. I don't know if I'm able to mention the, the promoter's name, but you know the person sure. who, who did Probably Peter Lowe. It was Peter Lowe. Yeah. And um, so Peter Lowe did this wonderful seminar. Uh, there was, a, I think, a president on the, on the platform. Anyway, I went to see Zig Ziglar, and I saw this man – with charisma in a finely tailored suit, who was a masterful storyteller. I, I've always been a big fan of Ziggs. And he did the priming the pump, yep. which I'll never forget. You know, And he inspired me because I was uh, starting at the bottom of, you know, in the basement. And I heard him and he reminded me about hard work, great ethics, taking risks, keeping a smile on your face, being positive in difficult times, putting your family first. And at the end of the seminar, there was a, there was a crowd of people, high stage. There were probably 5,000 people in the room. And I, I went and I had an early version of my first book. No one knows about this book. It's called Mega Living. You know, a passport picture on the cover, very rudimentary. 
but I handed him the book and he couldn't have been more gracious. He, he kneeled down and he, he, he took the book and he was gracious and he, he gave me some words of encouragement. I just wanted to say, you know, a lot of us have been inspired by Zig Ziglar and he's sure, I mean, I used to listen to tapes of Zig Ziglar and I could just go on, but I just wanted to honor the impact he had on me um, because he truly was a, a, a fine gentleman who helped many millions of people. Thank you, Robin. That will um, that you, that will be heard by his kids, uh, and they will be grateful as well as so much of the audience who has had similar experience. And that's mine, and one of the reasons that I'm here doing this. Thank you. That you know, you mentioned the mastery of self, and not that that's an uncommon term or thought, but again, going to the primary thread. There's so much in your book. It's such a, a rich book of so so much. But that is probably what I get out as much as anything else. And it even brought me to the thought of how misled it is for me to strive to master anything in my life, anything external until I have mastered myself, myself, mastering myself as a, as a spouse, as a parent, as a, as a boss, as a business, businessman how errant to go about that before I've mastered uh, myself. But then back to, I think this was right at the beginning of your book. Well, we talked about it uh, a little bit ago and yet we tend to live our lives externally and it's just foreign in our culture. Where do we learn that outside of a book like yours? Where do we learn that? They, if not, if, if our parents don't bring it to us, which at this point, less and less of them ever had it, it's, it's a lost art. I can see this is this is big for you, and it and it, and it fascinates me, and it inspires me. Um, you know, you're right. I, I believe your income and your impact reflect your self identity and your personal character. Um, and, and that you're right. So much of the Five AM Club is is battle proofing your inner core, your four interior empires, your personal gifts. Your and you talk about genius. That ten thousand hour rule which has been made famous by many authors actually comes from the work because, you know, I want to celebrate where it came from. It came from Anders Ericsson. Anders Ericsson is the preeminent researcher in elite performance and he's from Florida State University. And he found many years ago, I first read of Anders Ericsson about 25 years ago, and he found that the best athletes had one thing in common. They had practiced the equivalent of 10,000 hours in their specific skill before the first signs of genius. Mozart, for example, everyone says, oh, he was a natural genius. He actually, the first, for the first 10 years of his composing, his compositions were rudimentary. It took 10,000 hours, which is the equivalent of 3.44 hours a day of daily practice before the first signs of genius emerged. If you look at Kobe Bryant, you know, a great hero mm -hmm. who has passed, he understood very early on, he's, he, profound insights from Kobe Bryant. He said, you know, when I got drafted from high school right into the NBA with the Lakers, he said, I, I, realized, I thought everyone would be obsessed with basketball in the NBA. And he goes, I realized many of them weren't. They, they were more interested in their families and all these other things. And he said, I realized that if I just, what they would do is practice twice a day. He said, I realized if I would add two more practices every single day, 
after five years, I would be so much ahead of everyone else, they couldn't touch me. And if you look at Kobe Bryant's practice routine, which often started at 3.30 in the morning, you can see why he became the legend he became. So the point is, as you're suggesting, which is genius, this is a line right out of the 5 a.m. club, genius is less about genetics and it's more about your daily habits. And if we could only get this to the world, because you're right, yeah. society, the media, our, our peers, they tell us, look at the billionaires, look at the superstars, look at the people of high impact. Oh, they're smarter, braver, stronger, right? No, they just do different things. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very calm right now as the world falls apart. Why? I've, I've spent most of my adult lifetime in prayer, reflection, solitude, nature walks, reading, journaling, all the habits that I teach and that you subscribe to now is when we see the payoff versus being out in the world and just doing all those busy things so many people do. Okay, and you just listed off that list right there, which I know so yeah. often people are prone to discount and I don't have time, which comes back to the point of your book, get up at 5 a.m. and do this stuff. One, And you, you cite one hour and I, well, I'd be curious, I'll ask you the question, how much time you spend because in the ingredients of that uh, hour, I spend two um, at, at this point and I'm tempted to spend more because it's so rich. I, you're nodding, I, I, I assume that, uh, and you say that in the book, it's not a right, you can expand it, whatever, but it's just to get those aspects in. And that is the time generally that you can guarantee it. And I appreciate you talked about the, you know, the, the, the neuropsychology uh, that you have weaved in throughout the book, that that is just a time when we have more energy. Even if you wanted, if you want to do it at the evening, it's better than not doing it at all, but you will be at lesser energy. So there is some just basic uh, what uh, psychology science in this could we say it's it's neuroscience yeah. uh, there is a reason when you look at the great saints when you look at the great artists many of the great business titans many of them all had one thing in common they rose before the sun michelle obama yeah. you have tim cook you have um howard schultz the visionary behind starbucks all members of 5am club why because first of all the time before the sun rises is the time of least distraction in this age of digital addiction. The time before the sun rises is the time of greatest quietude and greatest yeah. peace. While, while you sleep, there's actually a mechanism being discovered by neuroscientists. The brain has a mechanism to wash itself. Hmm. It actually washes out the toxins. So when you wake up, your brain is most available to growth, suggestion, and learning. Your heart is most available to the deep hearts at work for releasing anger, grief, judgment, and working on forgiveness. When you wake up before the sun, the, the 5 a.m. club or the victory hour, your spirit is most clean and available to cultivation. So it, it's this 4 to 6 p.m. period is a profound time to work on yourself. Now, you suggest you do two hours. Uh, the, the victory hour that I talk about in the book is what I call the minimum viable morning routine. I probably do three to four hours a day because, you know, I do the second wind workout, walking in the woods, and I, I listen to an audio book. I, you know, before I go to sleep, I write in a journal and I download the things I'm grateful for. So, you know, if you like, we can get into the more the the, fi the victory 
our morning routine and I can get into some of the science and some of the tactics. Yes. And I will take that to point out. I want people to hear this, that the book is so prescriptive as you have the characters talk to the billionaire and say, okay, but how, or what do I do next? It reminded me of my early parenting years with a child who had significant illness when we were in the hospital. And so often the doctor would be vague. You could do this or you could do this or you could do this. And I, I remember one time grabbing the guy's arm and going, look, if it was your kid, what would you do? He didn't want to answer it. And I was adamant. And he said, well, I would do X. Thank you. Now we'll go forth and do that knowing what you as the expert would do. And you do so much of that in the book. So on that note, yes, please continue down that road. Well, so here's the, some science for your many listeners so they understand this is only not only um, philosophy. University College London has found that it takes 66 days of daily practice to wire in any new skill to the point called automaticity, where it actually becomes easier to practice the skill or the new habit than not to do the new habit. Every single one of us on the planet can change. Neuroplasticity you spoke about, which is the brain's ability to grow through daily practice. Every single one of us has that ability. The challenge is we read a book or we listen to a podcast, we apply the information for seven days or 14 days, and then we give up. You know, consistency is the mother of mastery. So I would say, remember the six, what I call in the book, the 66 day rule, whether it's the five, joining the 5am club. So you get up every morning before the sun, whether it's writing in a journal, whether it's daily prayer, whether it's, you know, carving out three hours a day without devices to do your best work, whether it's tithing, whether it's saving, uh, you know, saving money, whether it's, you know, visiting your parents every Saturday morning, do these things for 66 days to allow the habit to install. Okay. Once you you're practicing getting up at 5am, I must say it's all changes hard at first, messy in the middle, beautiful at the end. Mm -hmm. So change is messy. It's meant to be that otherwise it wouldn't be real change. So don't give up. Okay, now you start getting up at 5 a.m. What do you do? The 20-20-20 formula that I go very deep into the book. First 20 minutes. You're right. Let us be prescriptive in service of your many followers. 5 to 5.20, the first pocket is called move. Sweaty exercise. That could be uh, jumping jacks. It could be push-ups. It could be running on a treadmill. It could be going for a bicycle ride. You want to sweat. That's going to release BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is an amazing mechanism of the brain or neurochemical, which BDNF actually grows brain cells damaged by stress. It promotes better processing. You'll think faster. You'll be able to get more done. Uh, so exercise in that first 20-minute pocket is going to release dopamine, Dopamine is the inspirational neurochemical. So right now, as the world falls apart, by just doing this, you are going to feel so much stronger and inspired and confident. Uh, sweaty exercise in that first 20-minute pocket of the 20-20-20 formula re releases serotonin. What's that? The pleasure neurochemical. We all have this. Why don't we have more of it? We don't do the right things. Now by exercising, you're going to have more of it. It's going to release oxytocin, makes you feel happier. Now it's 520. All of a sudden, you feel fundamentally different. Yeah. 
Second pocket, 520-540, that is reflect pocket that I talked about in the book. This is where you can read the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. You can read a book of, a holy book of wisdom. You can read anything. You can write in a journal, write gratitude list, or you can simply sit still in solitude and reflect. Now it's 5.40, you've gone, gone through the first pocket of move, the second pocket of reflection, which few people do anymore. Now it brings us to the third pocket of the 20-20-20 formula, 5.40, six o'clock, that's when you grow. All leaders love growth. You know, the, 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 the woman and man who wins is the most curious. So you, this is when you watch a podcast like yours, Kevin, you uh, listen to an audio book, you go through your battle notes on you know what you need to do, and you spend some time in growth. Now it's six o'clock. You go out, spend time with your family, have a breakfast, go to work. You you've literally optimized your mindset, heart set, health set, and soul set. You do that, you feel fundamentally different. Last thing I'll say about that is, as you live your days, so you live your life. Because the five a.m. club morning routine creates consistently better days, which is better weeks. Months, quarters, years, lifetime, all because you got your morning right. So that, yeah, and it sounds, and I'm grateful that I was led to a morning routine years ago and I've expanded on it. Now it feels like a healthy fear to miss it. It really does. I, I, and I, yeah, even on the weekends, uh, I don't want to miss it. Even if I set it back a little bit of time because I know everybody's going to sleep a little bit longer, but co- having that, I covet that time of, of solitude of doing it though. I will say that one of the things I'm going to try is reversing my schedule because I do the reflection and growth. And then I exercise last before I start off with my day. So I'm going to try reversing it just to go along with the prescriptiveness there. Um, you talk about, you said the, the, the autumn, autumn, uh, how do you say it? Automaticity, automaticity, uh, automaticity, automaticity, yes. that one. And we've talked on the show plenty about responding healthfully to something instead of just reacting. But when you giving us that word and the 66 days, what I realized too, is I'm going to take that time to respond healthfully to my life, to my personal mastery every single day. And and I want to in all areas of my life so that in a critical time, as you're talking about, like we have now in our culture in a critical time, when you don't have, you don't have time to do anything, but respond, but react, I'm sorry, but react that react is that mastered healthy response that I want to get that automatic. I want to change that mindset. And you use the word, um, Goodness, it's not conditioning. Um, I'm going to have to find training. it. Is it training? Uh, training, but it, it, was, it was like a uh, regenerating. I'm going to find it here. I've got it in my notes where you talk about, because it reminded me of the aspect of, of conditioning that we are, well, you said, you know, like scrubbing the brain, cleaning the brain, that we are conditioning, constantly conditioned. This is a daily. So you're saying, you're taking this and saying at a least, and I, I appreciate that you said at, it's a minimal. 60 minutes that you are conditioning your brain every day, then to go forth and be at your, in essence, best self. And and I think you really take away the excuses, uh, which you do talk about. You talk about excuses. Actually, you really elevate the aspect of excuses of saying that is one of the, and I'll paraphrase, one of the most detrimental things to our 
mastery. Yes. We make excuses or we can change the world. We can't do both. Yeah. Um, you know, excuses are liars. Fears are thieves. And so you mentioned a bunch of key points that I, I, I'd love to speak to a few please, of them. Please. Um, so you talk about, um, you know, the morning routine and you talk about excuses and you talk about regeneration and you talk about refueling. I find it very interesting that most people on the planet spend more time architecting their summer vacation than they do building their greatest lives. And so I think part of the opportunity of this very sad time is it is going to cause us. We used to have a Sabbath. Mm -hmm. We used to have times where we'd spend with the family. These used to be our native values to build our character, to strengthen our beliefs, to purify our hearts, to elevate our spirits, to serve our neighbors, not to be so worried about cash accumulation and social media likes. And I think that's part of the higher purpose of what's going on on the planet right now. And I think it's going to get, get us back to some of these fundamentals that have served us so very well that a lot of us have, have lost track of. And so, um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's really important to let go of those. One, one of the hallmarks of victims is we give, our, we give away our power so much. Yeah. We don't think we have any. And so I think part of the journey of leadership and growing towards personal mastery is taking our power back. And every time we make an excuse, we we need to catch ourselves and say, I am not my excuses. Yeah. Right. And pretty simply, I mean, I hope this makes sense, but one of the tactics is you simply um, every time, every time, place where you think you're going to give away your power and you say, no, I'm going to drink the extra glass of water, or I'm going to get up at 5 a.m., or I'm going to be kinder. Each time you do what was hard to do, you grow in your power, and that's training to get your power back. Okay, you said a couple things there, and the word I was looking for from your book, and I'll get to it in a second, was re-engineering. That's the word that yes. you used. Um, I try to refrain from doing this, but I can't help myself. I'm going to read a little section from your book uh, sure. to, to lead us into. This is actually, uh, I don't know what chapter, page 78. And you have in quotes, said by the billionaire character in the movie, in this time of exponential change, overwhelming distractions and overflowing schedules, getting up at 5 a.m. and running the morning regime, uh, the spellbinder taught uh, uh, what taught me what was my antidote to average. No more rushing in the morning. You have exclamation point. Imagine what that alone does for the quality of your day. Starting your day luxuriating, love that word, and the quietude only the early morning provides. So uh, my listeners will know it wasn't, it'll be in the past 90 days of the post of the publishing of this show. We had a guy on the show, John Mark Comer. He wrote the book, The Ruthless Elimination of hurry, a, a topic he took from uh, Dallas wow. Willard. And that that alone is maybe one of the things that I find myself, I'll use that word again, coveting, uh, desiring, uh, protecting in the morning mm-hmm. is if I can just not hurry, I'll do whatever. Wh- whenever anybody's getting up, I'm going to get up earlier just to protect that, that centering. And and when you talk about, yeah, that the hurry and the busy and the filling of our life with the busyness and the devices and, and the whatnot, I, it feels like an irrefutable 
exercise and a truth. And again, you're very prescriptive in the book on that, but that alone, oh, you mentioned Sabbath that we no longer, we've run over that to our own detriment. And I fear, and I'll say this, we do have a significant, ah, I, I don't know what the exact percentage of, but a Christian crowd even in, in the Ziegler show and that Sabbath, please get it out. I would say of the religious context, you are not going to get any demerits in heaven, uh, by not taking Sabbath. That, I don't, that's not the point. The things that back to John Mark Comer, he talked about the lifestyle of Jesus, the things that he did were really smart for humanity. And you'll find those teachings in essence in, well, in your book, Robin, you're, you're bringing, uh, these truths that we have left the common sense. It's no longer common. And it, I think we're, we're in, obviously we're in desperate need. You know, you're, you're so right. There is, um, there is a magic in the air at 5am that you simply have to experience to, to believe it's, you know, watching the sun come up, mm. intimacy with who you truly are, time to think. People, you know, it's just, it's, it's the time. I believe, you know, I'll put it to you this way. I think solitude and silence is, is not a luxury. It's a necessity. And I think, you know, that time, even you talk about the Sabbath, I think, you know, having a news fast, having family meals, taking a day a week away, not only from the news right now, but from digital devices where we can simply be. I think part of the opportunity of what's going on in the world right now is we get to shift from human doings back to human beings. Hmm. And, you know, there's so many things that you're making me think of. It's you talked about reengineering. You talked about hmm. training. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in the 5M Club is the old Spartan phrase. Yeah. And hopefully it'll be very ha helpful to your, to your listeners and your viewers. And they used to say, sweat more in training and you'll bleed less yeah. in war. Yeah. That, like that's really what we're talking about. Sweat more in training and you'll bleed less in war. Another way to put it, the quality of your performance comes down to the caliber of your practice. Yeah. And what the 5 a.m. club is and the 2020 formula and the victory hour, it's your, it's your daily self strengthening self mastery practice. I mean, Kobe, let's go back to Kobe. He said, you know, everyone says I'm a genius or a superstar or gifted because in those final moments, I shoot the ball game. What is it? Game seven NBA championship. And it would go in. He said, you know, what people don't understand is I made that shot hundreds of times every single day. And we call it muscle memory and we call it neural circuitry. That's, you know, if you look at the, 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 the neuroscience of it, these are neural pathways that get developed through practice. And then the more you practice gets a, a fatty tissue called myelin is wrapped around that neural circuit. And this is, you know, I know we're, we're getting into it, but you've got a very it's intelligent great. audience, yes, yes. right? Well, this, I, I mean, I think that the secret of genius in many ways is neuroplasticity, daily training and myelin. And you might want to, Anyone who's interested, just research myelin. It's a fatty tissue. So let's say it's Kobe practicing, you know, sh making the shots, let's say 300 times a day or more. Well, that specific neuro circuit is going to be very dense and it's going to be very strong towards that shot. And if he keeps on practicing, which he did, it will be wrapped. It'll be wrapped around with myelin and myelin increases the um, the signals 
so that he processed more quickly. And that's why Wayne yeah. Gretzky could see where the puck was going versus where it was. That's why Steve Jobs could see around corners because all he did was think about his technology, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess what I'm saying is yeah. by th- this rising at dawn, doing your work, it is sweating more in training so you bleed less in war. And that's why those of us who've done this work for years through our morning routine, we're much calmer, we're much more creative, we're much more productive, we're protecting our families, we're protecting our businesses, and we're serving people right now versus being in denial and ducking our heads in the sand like ostriches. Yeah, that mile and you talk about, I am privileged to think about it fairly often. At the age of 49, I've now been riding a bicycle all my life. Uh, that was my, yeah. that was a love. I was, I was a pro cyclist and, and now I'll uh, consistently have these times of barreling down on a mountain bike on something and thinking I, and something goes wrong and I about lost it. And somehow 10, 20 feet down the path, I'm still there. My body just knows what to do. It's such a tangible aspect of that. And of course I'm thinking, I want that in my emotions. I want that in my yeah. intellect, oh, wow. which is, yeah, uh, big medicine. What a powerful point. What a pow- Like, you're right. I'm a skier. Ah. So, you know, through the practice and training of skiing, I've built up the, you know, the, the, the automaticity, the automatic yeah. reaction, the muscle memory, like you're suggesting, to, to just navigate something that might come up. It's, it's, um, it's, it's subconscious. It becomes yes. subconscious through practice is what you're suggesting. Yes. And, and I love what you said, Kevin, which is we must. And I know that word must is, you know, oh, wow, it'll make me feel good. I think we must as human beings do the four interior empire work mindset it's not just mindset like so many people are saying because that's just our psychology it's heart set which is our emotionality it's health set which is our physicality and it's soul set which is our spirituality four interior empires will make us our finest selves and i think if we do it every day every morning while the rest of the world is asleep you're right like i love what you said It, it speaks so deeply to me emotionally someone wrongs us and our default is forgiveness versus anger. Yeah, You know, uh, someone, let's say we do something nice for someone, especially right now, and they don't give us any appreciation. Our default is compassion and understanding. You know, I'm, I, I just love what you're saying. Uh, someone, someone betrays us mm-hmm. and our default mm-hmm. is kindness and compassion. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you mentioned Jesus, like, you know, that comes from devotion to building our best selves. And and the reason why so many mystics and saints and sages did it in the morning is I think it's the best time of the day. And then you talk about even intellectually mindset, because it is important. Like literally wiring in those beliefs and training them so that let's say we lose a big client right now. And our default is, what's the opportunity here, guys? The, the economy gets worse. The default is, how can I bring more value to more people? Yeah. The default is, this too shall pass. Darkness always becomes light. So you're right. This training is, it's the most important training a human being can do versus even external training. You use the word must 
tactfully in there because, uh, uh, yeah, people can get waylaid by that, the pressure of that, but in that, and I actually, I admit, I, I'm admittedly, I have so many notes, uh, that I made on the book to get through that. I can't find the line on this, but you have a segment in there on and So I'm going to paraphrase cause, cause I, I didn't find the note on in essence, the response of responsibility and I'll say opportunity of leveraging our potential. You said that word is what brought me to it. You said the word potential, which I love as opposed to, again, back to the 10,000 hours and whatever, as opposed to relying on, because we use the terms a lot, our gifts, talents, abilities, skills, which of course we want to take those. And I appreciate you pointing to those to say, and again, I'll paraphrase, paraphrase that those are meaningless unless refined as a pro cyclist. I so often we would see myself and my fellow pro riders. We'd see some kid who is just unbelievable, unbelievably naturally gifted in an athletic athletic way. But we also realized they did not have the mental capacity to ever bring it out. So here's a giant killer uh, that could be, but they'll never get it out. And you said this in the book and then lesser ability uh, let people with lesser ability will end up at the top because they have honed there and back to that potential. I, well, I ask you to go into that because you, you, you had a segment on there that was important enough to me to make notes on that I'm not finding here, but on our potential that that's the, that's the gold. Can I say that? Yeah, you're right. I think, you know, the, the world there's, there's an, a quote and, and I wish I could remember to give credit to who it came from, but I'll paraphrase it. And it's something like the world is littered with geniuses who betrayed their genius. Oh, that's great. And, and yeah. And I mean, there's so many people who were gifted who did nothing with it. And there are so the, the, the very nature of legendary is a testimony to ordinary people who exploited what they what gifts they had that's a good word to become so-called geniuses there's i don't know if i can find it oh here i, I love that word exploited that we are to exploit exploited. our potential that's yeah exploited there there's right this model the book has a lot of models as yeah. you know yep. and it's the four focuses of history makers and it talks about capitalization iq yes. as one of them now the reason i bring that up it speaks exactly to your point uh, James Flynn is an American psychologist, and here's what he came up with. He came up with a concept called capitalization. We just used ex, uh, exploit your 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 potential. Yeah. He calls it capitalization. Yeah. He said, what makes the best athletes, the best ch- chess champions, the best business builders, the best humanitarians is not their native natural talent. It is the talent they were born with, or to use your word, potential. Mm-hmm that they actually capitalized on capitalization is what makes greatness not natural gifts and that's why you're right every person on the planet has an opportunity to be great in their own way there's um i love docs i don't know if you if you like watching documentaries yeah i i I love documentaries and there's one that, that i love called the good son and it's um okay Ray, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Yep. And Ray Boom Boom Mancini, I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, sure. But he, yeah, he was a fighter, I think, in Det- from Detroit. And he got in a fight with a Korean fighter and he, act, you know, tragically killed him. 
and the whole documentary talks about this. But there was one part of the Good Son, yeah, the Good Son documentary, where Boom Boom Mancini said, "My brother was a way more talented fighter. He he was taller. Oh. He had a longer arm span. He had this. He said, but he said he didn't do anything with it. He said." I had heart. You know, boxers talk about heart. That's what they mean. He goes, I had more heart. I was at the gym, gym at 5 a.m. I out-trained everyone around me. So, you know, even there's another great documentary. I hope I'm not giving too much information. but Never. No, another, please. That's what you're here for. There's, a, there's another great documentary. I, I'd love all of your followers to watch it. And it's um, Lenny. Oh, it's they can just Google Lenny documentary and this was a, a young he, he was a, a high school basketball player and he used to play with lebron and they actually said the two of them were uh they were going to be you know the best the superstars the only thing is lenny and i i'm not speaking out of school Le- lenny cook whole docu- i found lenny cook c-o-o-k-e you're, you're a good man so the whole documentary it's amazing because he was playing with LeBron. They go, he's going to be drafted. He's going to be a you know multimillionaire. And I don't think Lenny would mind me sharing this. Lenny was fooling around. Lenny, even if there's a scene in the documentary where he wasn't doing the exercises at summer camp in high school. So what happened? Unbelievable. At the draft, they show this in the documentary. All these people get drafted, uh, Stottlemyre, whatever. These guys become NBA superstars. Lenny Cook didn't get drafted. The most gifted, naturally, didn't even get drafted. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great example of what we're speaking about. We have the opportunity to live our potential. It's not about natural talents. May we all stop making excuses. Let's all get in the game. Let's live our highest selves for the benefit of our, of our own lives, our family, and the world. It's part of my story, Rob, and it's a big part, is looking at the – I grew up, uh, fortunately, in a family, and I was uh, – they helped me understand my gifts, my talents, my innate abilities. I very literally tried to rely on those without doing the work, and I was a very me- – I, I, was, I was a pro cyclist. I was one of the most mediocre pro cyclists on the circuit. Uh, it's true story. It was, it was wasted, uh, wasted talent. I had a, I had one of the top pros in Europe at one point say that out of the, we had a a crew of four, four guys over there from America. And he said, man, you're the one who has the potential. Wow. I didn't hone it. I didn't, I didn't hone it. And I didn't end up in the, uh, in the, in the tour de France. Okay. Capitalization IQ. That is where I had my notes, Robin. And it was uh, chapter 10, page 110. I have it typed out because with your permission in the book that I am currently writing, there's a section section that I, I want this to go. And your quote in there is, and you just paraphrased it, but a lot of the latest research emerging on successful people is confirming that our private story about our potential is the key performance indicator on whether we actually exploit that potential. That's brilliant. That's just flat out brilliant. I, I thank I thank you for saying that. And I'm looking at page 110 on your queue of um, the version I have, and it says, and I think this is so important, so important for for your followers. I'm just going to quote. Um, well, if you're running a mental narrative that says if you don't have what it takes to be a superb leader in business, or an acclaimed expert of your craft 
then you won't even start the adventure of getting there, will you? And world-class is a process, not an event. Running a limited psychological program that says everyday people can't become great or genius is born, not developed, will cause you to think it would be a complete waste of time to do the studying. It's exactly what we've spoken oh, about, Kevin. Yeah. Make, it'll make you think it'd be a complete waste of time to do the studying, put in the practice hours and prioritize your days around your heartfelt desires. What would be the point of investing all the labor, vigor and time and making all those sacrifices when virtuoso levels are impossible for someone like you under that belief, belief system. system? Yep. Right. So. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. It's hard to stop. I have that whole section uh, marked out here. If you can see my, see my book, yeah. because right after that, and then because your daily behavior is always a function of your deepest beliefs. That's why I marked it out. That is a big part of what my upcoming book is about. It's focused on what we really want. And the, the core of that is the level of our belief, what we believe about ourselves, which is so much the message of your book. And it brought me back to uh, a terminology that speaks to me at least is where do I have the right not to believe more for myself? And I know people, I hope everybody who's listening knows me enough to know that we're not talking about a narcissistic self-focus and a grandiose uh, elevation of, uh, of myself above because it's not above anybody else. It's just to the, to the uh, back to potential. To the, to, the, to the height of my own ability, which we'll never hopefully realize. I don't ever want to reach the end, uh, arrive. I don't know that we do, but how can I not, you said this to some degree earlier, become better, that responsibility to become better every day. Who of us wants to relive the same year over and over and come to next year and go, man, I haven't not progressed. I'm not better. My emotions aren't better. My intellect's not better. My health is not better. And we assume Gosh, I mean, that is, Rob, that is, that does burden me that we as a culture, we assume a decline. We just assume a de-evolution. Well, well, there's, you know, that, that myth, that, that common belief has been debunked, you know, that as you get older, you need to age. You know, I mean, even the idea that brain cells do not grow after a certain age has been debunked by the scientific phenomenon. Uh, called neurogenesis. Brain cells can continue to grow as you go through age. Through new neuroplasticity, you can grow at 80 or 90. I mean, there's so many things. But one of the key things I think you're speaking to, Kevin, is this. It's And this is really why I wrote the 5 a.m. club. Because you're right. We have an opportunity and a responsibility to live our genius and to do amazing things with our lives. In school, they don't teach us how to do, do so. So that's why I in, shared the 2020 formula, the 10 tactics of daily genius. That's why I have all the scientific models. That's why I have all the, the habits that the, the elite pr producers live by. But it also speaks, what you're saying also speaks to something in interesting, I think, which is okay, so we have a responsibility to master ourselves and, and be amazing in our own unique ways. Why don't we? And I talk a lot in the book about why we don't, because it's important to understand and develop some awareness like why don't we do this work and i think it comes down to a few things i think society brainwashes us to believe that geniuses are cut from a different cloth so as i suggested why even do the morning routine or like why why bother we're resigned to mediocrity or average i think the second thing is we are not we are not afraid of our darkness we're more afraid of our light yeah and 
the idea that we could actually be the best teacher in the school, the idea that we actually could have the house of our dreams, the idea that we could be a great firefighter or a great author or a great business titan. Kevin, it terrifies us because we then start going into these old beliefs. This is why mindset work is important of what if I fail? What if I get laughed at? What if I, I mean, the very nature of mastery in a world suffering from collective mediocrity is a terrifying act because you're going to leave the herd and you're going to be different and you're going to be ridiculed. Look, every visionary was ridiculed before they were revered. Kevin, you get up at 5 a.m., you do a morning routine, you want to write a book that's going to change the world. How dare you? You know, so-and-so, Susan, whoever, you want to do a screenplay? You want to save a fortune? You want to change the world? Are you crazy? And so we would rather stay small than present our bigness to the world and live our gifts because we don't want to be laughed at. We don't want to fail. We don't want the pain of being misunderstood. And so we stay small and get to the last hour of our last day and look back at our lives on our deathbeds and say, you know what? I allowed the laughter of my critics to to be louder than the glory of my faith and my my dreams. And that's a recipe for heartbreak on the last hour for our last day. I adore what you just went over there. Your book, the, you wrote it in this allegorical uh, aspect, which admittedly is not always my favorite format. Here's what I found in the book, though, as we all talk about the uh, was it was a Jim Rohn, I think that gets billed as coining, you know, we become the, the sum of the five people we, ha- we hang around with. That's why we all, I think, enjoy going to the conferences, going to the, the meetings with people. It elevates our perspective of our own potential. Uh, gosh, which right now everybody's homebound. So even more reason to Listen to what I'm about to say, reading your book and putting me in this literal story, allegorical story with the characters in there gave me that feeling that they elevated me as I was with them in the story. It elevated my perspective of my own potential. So I want people to hear that. But what you just said about being, you know, being weird, being, I'm going to even say this, but the word countercultural, the characters in your story are, and you write to him this, at this point, you know, the billionaire was nuts. He was extreme. He was radical. He was crazy. And the characters refer to him as such. And I think we tend to discount that, that gosh, to be that different, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be nuts to be, to be brilliant, to be. And my thought is, Yeah. That's what you really brought to light in this is, yeah, but who of us want to be the norm, be mediocre and go with the flow and be of the culture. And yeah, back to the, the Jesus aspect, who of us want to be, we're, we're in the world. Do we want to be of the world? Do we want to go along with it? it? It's a recipe for disaster. Back to what you said, that aspect of, we got to embrace it sounds pithy, but we've got to embrace the crazy. We got to fly our freak flag in, in essence. <laughs> if, I, I would say, I would say, I love the freak flag. Um, I would say if you're not being crazy a lot, you're not dreaming very much. Yeah. I think uh, there's a line in the 5am club. Every visionary was ridiculed before they were revered. Yeah. Let's, let's look at Galileo. Hey guys, the world might not be flat. Let's look at, 
Berners-Lee. The internet is going to connect all of us. Let's look at Steve Jobs. We're, I'm going to have a device that's going to connect the world. Let's look at Shakespeare. Let's look at Mandela. Let's look at Mother Teresa. These were. Let's look at MLK. You know, in, in a in a world that has gone so hard, even standing for love, hmm. forgiveness, honor, decency is a radical, crazy act. In a world, I, I actually think, Kevin, when the world has gone insane, a sane person is called crazy. Hmm. You, you mentioned Jesus. To forgive, given what what he was experiencing, you know, in, in our world right now, we don't understand it as much. And, and I, I would say that for all the, you know, for any great leader who, who stood for love, who stood for forgiveness, who stood for unity, who stood for decency, who, who stood for selflessness, selflessness, these people are, you know, until now, they were pretty much, a lot of them were laughed at. Oh, that's fine to read about in the philosophical books. You know, we can't live like that. Look, I, I read this book a lot. It's it's the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. And I don't know if, if, if you've read it. I'll send you a copy if you haven't, Kevin. I, I have um, not. I, I'm familiar. I know so many people who refer to the writings of, so I'm definitely familiar, but I have not read literally that, no. I'd love yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, this is, how, this is how I read it, you know? I mean, it's just, yeah. and one of the reasons I read it is, it um could could i read just a paragraph Please, from it absolutely okay um this is page 17 of this version for the benefit of all your followers uh -huh. just listen to this it's it, in the life of a man his time is but a moment his being an incessant flux his senses a dim rush light his body pray for worms his soul, an unquiet eddy, his fortune dark, and his fame doubtful. In short, all that is of the body is as, isn't this appropriate for now? All that is of the body is as coursing waters. All that is of the soul as dreams, vapors. Life is a warfare, a brief sojourning, you know, a brief vacation. A brief sojourning in an alien land. And after repute, repute, you know, success in the world, this is what we were talking about at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And after repute, he, he writes, oblivion. And, and this is, you know, so much of what I've tried to share for 24 years. You know, I wrote a book called Who Will Cry When You Die? Life, we get so trapped in oh, we have followers and social media likes and look at my house and look at my title and look at my car. Now our egos are being collectively cracked by the crises, the, the economic collapse, the virus, and we're forced, what? Rather than to look without, we must turn within. And I think bottom line in many ways, we're going to start realizing what, what philosophy has always said. Life is ultimately short. We're all, we're all going to end up as dust and all, at the end, what's going to matter will be two things, who we became through our commitment to personal mastery and how many people we helped. Yeah. You reading Marcus Aurelius, which is, do you know the timeline? It's a long time ago. 
uh, we can, we can go to Solomon who a long time before that. said there's nothing new under the sun. And yet back to that, you know, pithy statement of common sense. It's not that common. We sit here. I'll talk to everybody. Listen to the show. We sit here and listen to the few people who do these countercultural personal exercises, habits, uh, like Robin and they're here. That's why we do the habit show. They're here because they just do things differently. And you actually, you say that Robin in the habits, uh, as you're talking about habits, am I quick enough to get to it? Not genetics, but ha- this is right from your book, not genetics, but habits, not the extent of gifts, but the strength of grit. And then this line, the common denominator of success. So folks, just to what I said, people like Robin and and others who I've guessed on here, common denominator of success lies in the fact that they formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. And I really revere the fact that you talked about, you elevated not just habits, not just a healthy habit, but specifically the uncomfortable, the more uncomfortable ones. And not only that, but doing those at the point that we most don't want to, that's, that's a bad, that's a bad vernacular, but we don't, we, we most don't want to do them, uh, at, at the point that it's most uncomfortable to, again, we're back to that aspect of, of re uh, engineering and use the word you said a moment ago when the culture, the, we're brainwashed by the culture, we're brainwashed by our upbringing. We are brainwashed. And I love that point. We are all brainwashed. If we're going to change, we have to, I like to say re brainwash, but you're back to your re engineering. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of what Zig said. You can get whatever you want as long as you help enough other people get what, what they, they want. Yeah. It's so it's so counterintuitive. And you're right. It's You can get whatever you want so long as you don't do what you want. And what I mean by that is our society, yeah. I think this is another thing that's, that's going to change, you know. There's another thing that's going to change, which is our society is so much around self-gratification and um, pleasure-seeking, like – Hit the device, get the fix, release the dopamine, feel good for 30 seconds. Pull out the credit card, buy the good, feel good for 77 seconds. Or what, you know, I'm just, uh, stay in the bed, lose the battle of the bed, stay under the mattress, feel good for another longer morning. The, the, the story of genius, the story of greatness is leaning into difficulty, not ease. I stood in Nelson Mandela's prison cell in 2016, and my life changed that wintry Robin Island morning. What made Nelson Mandela, as you know, he was on Robin Island for 18 years, and he was in incarceration for 27 years. But what made him was his suffering. And if you look at the root of the word passion, this might blow your mind, but the root of the word passion is, is to suffer. Hmm. Great artists suffer for their painting. Great writers suffer for their craft. Great athletes suffer to become NBA or NFL or NHL superstars. Great humanitarians suffer for their mission. To live a great life, it's not about pursuing what's easiest. It's about doing what you are resisting so you become stronger and braver. And and the metaphor is like, you know, physical training, right? You, you do the 
more more burpees or more push-ups or in your case you cycle longer with greater intensity or whatever and you t- micro tear the muscle and then in the recovery it grows you know this as, a, as a, an elite athlete well life is like that as well when you forgive when you're angry you micro tear your heart set and in the recovery you grow it, when you you know like i'm working on a work project and you say you know what i'm not going to push average i'm going to push mastery you micro tear your craft in the recovery and you grow so we've got to get out of this idea that greatness we can get we want greatness but we're not willing to do the things required of greatness that doesn't make any sense i'm i'm a little enamored by you talking about you know the staying in bed or doing whatever for that 30 seconds that 60 seconds 90 seconds whatever of giving into the momentary you know pleasure dopamine whatever and you're coming back to suffering, which again, you do a great job outlining in the book, in the story of the book of the primary characters uh, investing in suffering to become stronger. But but to, I, I really feel like too, because you have plenty of pleasure in the book. The book is full of yeah. uh, feasting on the highest pleasures of life that are a fruition of this. And it makes me think of, of the, you know, are you, are we willing to suffer past that 30 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever of a quick dopamine hit? Will we suffer with the hope of 24 hours of continual joy? Is that fair? Oh, it's, it's totally fair. And you know, you, you talk about the 5am club written as a story. And, you know, I, I did that. On, I've written nonfiction books like The Greatness Guide, et cetera, you know, very, very um, prescriptive. And, and what I try to do with the 5am club is provide frameworks for elite productivity and you know, battle proofing your mindset and all those 10 rituals of daily genius, but within the form of a story. So I've tried to provide, you know, these interesting characters and philosophy, but also what I call tacticology and neuroscience. And, you know, so it takes people on a roller coaster ride. And you're right. It's the book does talk about habits and the 5am club and the 2020, 20, But then you've got the, the 11 letters, which Mr. Riley teaches his two students on a vineyard in South Africa, in Franchuk, South Africa, which talks about beauty and how to live a beautiful lifestyle and even prosperity you know and and i guess you know this mr riley one of the lead characters if not the hero of the book is a quirky billionaire and it's exactly what we said he's he's worth billions but he's giving it all away and he believes in tithing and he believes in philanthropy he has a private jet he has the compound in mauritius he loves beautiful wine but this is what it says in the book he doesn't need it and, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't think you and I are trying to suggest to everyone listening to this, that life has to be hard and miserable. We're not, we're not, we're not suggesting that we're, we're trying to suggest that be rigorous in your habits and your disciplines and your morning routine, but also savor the beauty. As a matter of fact, someone once said to me, let planning bring your, let planning 
be your springboard so spontaneity can be your splash. And all I'm suggesting is when you do these difficult things and install these habits, you'll get to a point, let's go to the science after 66 days, where it becomes automatic. And then like you say, getting up early, doing great work, having your second wind workout, doing all these routines, it becomes easy and fun. And, and yeah, we're, we're not trying to suggest that a great life is hard. We're trying to suggest that a great life can be easy if you install the right routines, rituals, and habits. Well, and it doesn't feel like you're asking for that much. I mean, we come back to 60 minutes. We give me 60 minutes to reorient, re-engineer your day and the power of it. Again, I, I think for our listeners here, the thread of this message that we, we hear pieces of as we go through the habits of, of everyone on the show, we hear these pieces and it's just the day, are we willing to give those daily disciplines, those daily exercise, a little bit of suffering? Uh, and it almost, yeah, it almost bodes for, I want to give a little more. So I have a little more strength and it becomes joy filled. I think anybody I know as a, as a pro athlete, I, I just, you, you appreciate the pain because of the payoff. That's what helps me cross the line first. Okay. Maybe there's, <laughs> maybe there's our anchoring point. Um, Goodness. It's so Robin, it's, it's, it's just, it's so rich. I, I really am, uh, impressed by the book. I can actually see it as a movie. I kept having that. Like when you read a good, yeah. a good fiction and you start thinking, I, I wish it was a movie. You start thinking about the characters. My family will do this because we'll share uh, reading the same fiction books and I, I could see it. Maybe you've already seen it. Uh, I, I, I agree with you and the five M club will be a movie. Uh, and I, you know, I have to say when I wrote it, um, and I'm respectful of your time, but when I wrote it, I fell in love with the characters. And when I finished, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to give away the ending, but when I finished, I, I cried, you know, because I was, I spent four years with these, with these people. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, I think it would be a good movie, but that's, that is why I wrote it as a story. And I think in this world right now, we need escapes, you know, we need help. Let's call it helpful, tactical escapes that can teach, but also pull us away from, the 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 tragedies and the sadness and the messiness of what's going on right now i i agree i i would love more redemptive escapes that aren't just mind candy but those redemptive and i've got my own list of movies i saw a list might have been an interview somebody did with you and they listed out some movies all all, all of which i i love because of what they draw me to well your book drew me to a place that made me aspire to more it changed my paradigm uh, gave me prescriptive, tactical, as you said, uh, methods that I will be employing in the days to come. And uh, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do to get your art out. Thank you for giving us your time. And I thank you mostly for giving me your time because I always get to be the first and foremost student. Robin, um, I'm blessed. Thank you. Uh, Kevin, uh, it was my joy and absolute pleasure to serve. And I, you could see how fired up you got me with your great questions. And I just want to, you know, again, honor Zig Ziglar for the impact uh, he's had on me and millions of people. And I want to honor you for the light and great value and great information that you're bringing to so many people across the planet. I think, you know, we can curse the darkness or we can light the candle. And I, and, and I know you're doing that. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've lit my candle. And as soon as we publish this, you'll lit uh, tens of thousands of others. So Robin, thank you. 
Boom. There you go, folks. I must say I am proud to bring you guests like Robin Sharma and just their incredible, incredible messages. Again, you can find Robin in his new book, The 5 a.m. Club, and all he has to offer at Robin Sharma, S-H-A-R-M-A dot com. Coming up in episode 782, how to matter to someone. I mean, your primary desire, all of ours, is to matter to other people. If we want a raise at work or a promotion, you must matter to someone in charge. If you want a relationship, you must matter to the person you're pursuing. If you want friends and any companionship, you must matter to those people. So how do you matter? In this show, I believe we have possibly your best tactic. Give people what they most want. Encouragement. Everyone, including yourself, wants to hear positive feedback regarding themselves. We all want it, and some people are desperate for it. When we think of the word encouragement, I think we generally don't give it the gravity it deserves. Uh, Using it is literally harnessing a superpower. We are selfish beings, and I'm saying be selfish. Encourage people and matter to them. See what opportunities arise for you. And as you're going to hear when uh, in the show, we did not start off with the focus of encouragement. It was supposed to be a Q&A show with Scott Stearman uh, regarding our influence on others. Scott was my guest in show 777, where we discussed just that, how we are literally influencing other people. But briefly into the show, we got into the topic of encouragement, and I was just hit with the reality that Scott is a king of encouragement. His father was a king of encouragement. Zig Ziglar was a king and chief purveyor of encouragement. What could possibly be a more important topic? Uh, What followed was, I believe and hope, us making a case for the power of encouragement and how it can be elevating our own lives as we elevate others. Well, till then, folks, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. (laughs) 